0: Om asato ma sad gamaya, tamaso ma gamaya, mrityor ma mritam gamaya, edhi rudrayate dakshinam mukham, Te namam te Lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness unto light. Lead us from death to immortality. Reach us through and through ourself, O Lord, and protect us evermore from ignorance by thy sweet, compassionate face. Om shanti, 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 hari, om tat sat, om peace, peace, peace be unto us all. Good morning to everyone. It's good to see so many known faces and uh, good to see a, a sprinkling of unknown faces as well. Uh, as you know, I, I, most of you know, I'm here after a couple of years' absence, and so it uh, seems like much longer than that, Because, uh, in some ways at least, because much has happened between uh, then and now, uh, or my life has been completely different. Uh, visiting India, I often uh, say, is uh, more like visiting another planet rather than visiting another country. It's not, not like going to England or Sweden or Switzerland or Italy. It's like going to a different planet, and so that makes it seem even longer. Uh, but on the other hand, it's uh, coming uh, coming back uh, to a known place like Hollywood, uh, which is so familiar. It also seems almost like I was never gone. I fit right back into the routine and uh, a known, well-known routine, known for many years. So anyway, I'm very glad to be here, and very glad to see so many of you. And uh, uh, this morning's talk is entitled "The Work Before Us." And by giving the talk, I had uh, two things in mind uh, two related things in mind uh, that is the work before us as individual uh, as individuals, and the work before us as a movement as the Vedanta movement or as the ramakrishna Vedanta movement. So those two things I want to uh, talk about this morning and uh, the and I want to relate the two because as i 'm going to speak about them, the two are very related um, uh, the uh, 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 I'm going to start with uh, speaking about the movement because the when I come to the individual, I want to speak of uh, the work before us as individuals, as members of a movement. Uh, that is, I'm not just going to speak about generic spiritual advice or uh, generic life advice, uh, but what I see as the work before us as members of a movement, as members of the uh, Ramakrishna Vedanta movement, as the movement established by Swami Vivekananda. Uh, so again, it's not, I'm not going to speak about generic spiritual advice. Uh, so the movement as we know it, the Ramakrishna movement, was inspired by Sri Ramakrishna, initiated by Sri Ramakrishna, and you could say directed and defined by Swami Vivekananda. Now, I don't want to make a strong distinction, uh, as strong as some people might, because I don't think that there is a strong distinction between Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda. There have been, from the beginnings of the movement, there have been those who have doubted that Swami Vivekananda was taking us in the direction that had been initiated by Sri Ramakrishna. Even among his brother disciples, there were some who had doubts uh, in the beginning years of the movement. Who felt that Sri Ramakrishna had taught one way about a spiritual practice and realizing God, and then Swami Vivekananda came along and talked about organization and service work and so forth, and so people doubted that. Uh, some people doubted that this was really what Sri Ramakrishna had wanted. But uh, uh, we can. There are several reasons why uh, we can assume that what Swami Vive, Vivekananda taught. What he did was not contrary to Sri Ramakrishna's uh, wishes. One is the Holy Mother, Sri Sarada Devi. Had it not been for her, the movement would have had a much harder time getting started. And I mean aside from her spiritual power, which of course was foundational to the order and to the movement, uh, but because of her supporting Swami Vivekananda's ideas. When others doubted that Swami Vivekananda was bringing new ideas which Sri Ramakrishna had not taught, uh... then it was the holy mother who said uh, no it's the master who is speaking through swami vivekananda who at every turn supported what swamiji was doing and told others like master Mahashoi, the author of the gospel of sri ramakrishna or the kottam uh, told people like master Mahashoy that no what uh, the, uh... vivekananda is teaching is what the master himself had wanted and that the master himself is working through swami vivekananda uh... another reason for Not seeing a difference between the two is that Sri Ramakrishna himself saw no difference. And he himself had uh, trained Swami Vivekananda, told him what to do. Even on the last day of his life, he was giving uh, the Swami instructions when it was very difficult for him even to speak. And uh, so Sri Ramakrishna himself insisted that he was turning the care of his uh, disciples over to Vivekananda and if you read the things that Sri Ramakrishna said about Swamiji you see that uh, he had implicit faith implicit faith uh, in him and also that he had trained him very carefully and also that he had pulled him aside many times to give him private instructions which he didn't give to others Um, and then though I was one of those uh, uh, in the beginning years I saw what seemed to be a great difference between Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda Through years of study, I came to see that the difference was one of personality and not one of inner essence. That is, the more you read of Sri Ramakrishna and the more you read also of Swami Vivekananda, the more you see a natural underlying harmony between uh, their teachings, or rather, more than a harmony, an underlying unity. But as personalities, they were distinct. And uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, As I've often said, if Sri Ramakrishna... Uh, had been able to do everything uh, by himself, there was no need to bring Swami Vivekananda, no no need to bring the Holy Mother, no need to bring other uh, 16 disciples. Uh, It was because he needed someone like Swami Vivekananda to do things that he himself did not do or could not do because of temperament that he brought the Swami. And so the difference in temperament is natural and something that I find endlessly fascinating because... You don't have a monolithic, singular ideal with one uh, one dimension to it. You have a multi-dimensioned ideal with Sri Ramakrishna, Swami Vivekananda, the Holy Mother, and the direct disciples, all of uh, all of whom were individual in their temperament. So, um, so I'm going to start with the movement, and uh, uh, because again, it gives context to what I want to say about the individual. And I'm going to speak of it largely as as, uh, defined by Swami Vivekananda. Now, the Swami said about uh, uh, his wishes for the beginnings of his movement, he said, I want sappers and miners in the army of religion. I want sappers and miners in the army of religion. Sappers and miners, meaning those who first go into a country and make way for those that are to follow. Uh, some people, of course, uh, have an allergy to any kind of uh, military analogy, and Swamiji was not talking about real armies, of course, uh, but it's a wonderful analogy if uh, if you look at it. That I, uh, What I need now are sappers and miners in the army of religion, that is, people who would go in and clear the way for future generations, clear the way how, not clear-cutting virgin forests and, uh, and so forth, but clearing the way with ideas, with, uh, with principles, with discovering uh, the inner meanings of his uh, teachings and so forth, and Sri Ramakrishna's teachings as well. So, that was for the beginning. Now we're a hundred years later, so probably no need for sappers and miners now, but no. The beginnings for Swami Vivekananda are, are certainly several centuries long. He said that he had given enough for the world for 1,500 years, and so we're just at the beginning, just a hundred years after his uh, uh, passing away. And he had told Sister Nivedita that for 150 years after, after him, his ideas would go underground. Underground not meaning secret, but that is that the majority of people in the world would ignore them, that they would go underground as far as the world at large goes. But he said that at that time they would be germinating. And so they're germinating Where? They're germinating among people like you, among people like me, among people like uh, the members of our Vedanta societies and our, our devotees and our, and our monastics. And so we're still very much in the sappers and miners uh, phase, and that will go on quite uh, for a long time. If you look at the history of Buddhism, the history of Christianity, you find that it took centuries for them to get uh, established and to begin to get a, uh, what you could see as a tradition, so uh, we're still at that stage, and uh, whether we like it or not, we are there. Uh, whether we want to be sappers and minors uh, or not, if we're following the teachings of, of Vivekananda and Ramakrishna uh, and the Holy Mother, we are sappers and minors. We don't have to uh, think of ourselves that way. We are that. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Because we are the uh, people... You and I and many, many others, thousands of others, hundreds of thousands of others, maybe count in India and around the world. Uh, We are the people who are trying to assimilate the ideas, trying to understand the ideas, trying to absorb the ideas, uh, trying to learn what they mean, trying to assimilate them, uh, identify with them, and then to move forward with them. And as we do that we are making the way for others because again this is a new venture swami vivekananda did not come in spite of what many people say i don't see how there's any escaping it though many people do escape it i don't see how there's any way of escaping the fact that swami vivekananda was not just a repetition of the past he didn't just come and say what uh, teachers in the past had said yes what he taught is not contradictory uh, but he taught a message for the modern age, for people today, uh, and there was a newness to his message. And so those of us who were students of the Swami, and students of Ramakrishna, and students of the Holy Mother, uh, were students of something new, and something new it takes time to assimilate, And then after assimilating, after trying to understand the ideas, then uh, we try to identify with them. And that's what spiritual practice is about, the process of identifying with the teachings. Once we've understood something, even a little bit, we begin to try to practice it. And that means identifying with it. That is, taking it from uh, the head and uh, putting it into our nervous system, as it were, so that it becomes uh, uh, part of our very being. And then what happens? Then what happens is whether we think about it or not, whether we're trying to or not, we begin to express it. We begin to express it. And so uh, we are in the sappers and miners uh, phase uh, because it's still in formation. Sister Nivedita, the great Irish English disciple of Swami Vivekananda, she once uh, uh, said uh, that it took 1,500 years of Christianity before one had a Saint Teresa and a Saint Catherine that is, the great, exa- uh, great exemplars of the heights of uh, Christian mysticism. Yes, there were mystics in Christianity from the beginning, from St. Paul and the, and the apostles of uh, Christ, to the Desert Fathers and Mothers, and uh, all the way through the history of Christianity. But by the time you reach uh, the 15th, 16th centuries, you find the full flowering of Christian mysticism. in great saints like uh, St. Saint Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, uh, the St. Catharines, the two St. Catharines, and, and many, many others. Uh, and so she said, if it took 1,500 years uh, for that to happen in Christianity, how can we expect the full flowering of Viveka, Vivekananda's ideas now? She was talking about herself and lamenting the fact that uh, she felt that uh, she had so poorly uh, embodied the teachings of Swamiji. Though, one like Swami Ramakrishnananda said that no one had understood Swamiji the way that Sister Nivedita had. And yet she saw that this was just the beginning. Even for her, she felt this was just the beginning. So again, we are sappers and miners. I'll return to this near the end of the talk, uh, uh, this uh, uh, process in formation that we are undergoing. But uh, right now I want to move on to the movement and first talk about what is the essence of the movement, the essence of the movement as far as ideas go. Uh, and then uh, talk about, uh, the, as I said, the work before us, what to do with those ideas. So what are the basic principles that we find undergirding the movement, as sort of the inspirations and the, uh, the powers underneath the movement? First, of course, one would have to say that the central idea to the movement, to everything that Sri Ramakrishna said, certainly, was about realization. That is, realization of God or realization of the self whether you think of it in personal terms or in impersonal terms, realization, enlightenment. That was the essence of Sri Ramakrishna's teachings. And it was the essence of what Swami Vivekananda taught as well, as I'll show, I hope, in a moment, or at least indicate. I don't pretend to be able to show it, but uh, to indicate at least, uh, that if you read Swami Vivekananda, you'll find that, like Sri Ramakrishna, that everything he taught was geared towards the goal of uh, realization, towards the goal of experiential religion and the experience of the highest truths of religion. So uh, uh, Swami Vivekananda and Sri Ramakrishna didn't come to teach politics. They didn't come to teach economics. They didn't come to teach uh, other things. They came to teach spirituality. Now, one of the remarkable things about Swami Vivekananda, as I'll say a little later on, is that he found spirituality everywhere. And so whether he was talking about history or language or economic theory or whatever he was talking about, he saw every every aspect of human life as a struggle to express the highest truth. But as far as the essence of what he said, it was always the highest truth that was the essence. People said that to hear him talk about anything, whether it was history or anthropology, or uh, language, or any uh, 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 military heroes like uh, Napoleon and Genghis Khan. Uh, To hear him talk about anything was to hear him talk about spirituality, because he saw the spiritual heart of everything. But that says, that points to the fact that for him, realization, experiential religion, was the heart of everything. And so that's the heart of our movement. Not, uh, Not politics, not improving the world. As I'll say in a moment, uh, another facet of his teaching was service. Uh, But the essence of his message was not improving the world, as I'll say in a moment. It was about realization. And in tune with realization and in tune with Sri Ramakrishna's teachings uh, was his message of harmony. That is, the harmony of religions, the harmony of uh, spiritual ideas, the harmony of the four yogas. Um, uh, All of that was uh, a part of his message. So at the heart of his message was realization, but next to that and along with that or side by side was his idea of service. Again, not service as a way to improve the world because he, Swami Vivekananda believed that the world is the world. And uh, the idea that we're going to go out and fix things is one of the illusions that we suffer from and one of the illusions which has caused great harms, harm to the world. In fact, if you look at some of the people who did the most harm to the world as dictators and so forth they were all people who knew what the world needed they knew the problems of the world at least in their own minds and they set out to crack heads until everybody agreed with them and uh, so it's that which has done more harm than anything the idea that I know what the world needs I uh, read recently uh, an interview with a Very, very well-known name that I won't mention. Some of you might have read it, uh, uh, and so you'll know who I'm talking about, but I'm not going to mention his name uh, because I don't mean him any harm. But he's an extremely well-known person, one of the most well-known people in the world, and not a political leader, a leader in another uh, uh, aspect of life who said, and this may be a giveaway, he said that that, uh, the uh, problems in the world are basically just uh, software problems. You fix a few bugs, and uh, you can get rid of the problems in the world. What an immature idea. Not that the man himself is stupid, but what an immature idea to f- think that the, the world is basically just, human society is just basically software and just need a few uh, programmers, a few engineers to get in there and, uh, and uh, tweak the programming a little bit and there'll be no more, no more problems in the world, which was a profound misunderstanding of the nature of the world. And so Swami Vivekananda uh, over and over hit on the head, that idea of improving the world. And yet he taught service as the, uh, uh, his twin ideal. He said the ideal for his movement was twofold, and not just for the monks, for all of us. Because the movement is all of us. The movement is not about monks or about nuns. It's about all of us. He said, atmano mokshartham jagadhitayacha," for one's own liberation and for the good of the world. That's the ideal for all of us, that Those, at least What what I mean by all of us is those who consider themselves followers of the Swami. Uh, And so he taught service as a twin ideal with realization. And yet he taught that you can't, don't go about thinking that you can fix the world, that you can improve the world. The world is a a state of balance between good and bad, between heat and cold, between uh, 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 saints and sinners, uh, so-called. Though he said that we should transform our vision so that we don't see saints and sinners we see only all as god see the divinity of all but again not so that we can fix the world in the sense that there's not going to be any more disease there's not going to be any more suffering everybody's going to be happy uh, and so forth no he said go out and serve wherever you find need serve but again not with the idea that i swami apmarupananda am going to help somebody i swami Atmarupananda, am going to fix the problems of the world no In fact, in Karma Yoga, some of you know that I've been in India working on the complete works of Swami Vivekananda. And one of the things you find that was done in early editions of of his works, like Karma Yoga, was that uh, uh, many people were afraid that uh, Swami might look too extreme, and so they wanted to turn him into a nice gentleman and so you find expressions of his like in karma yoga in one place it has in the karma yoga that we know it says Swami Vivekananda says uh, this idea of helping the world take it out of your mind but actually what he said was this idea of helping the world thrash it out of the mind with his characteristic uh, force and so uh, he was very hard on that idea and so that is in tune with what Ramakrishna said when He was uh, talking about the ideal of life. He said, if God appears before you, are you going to ask God for a hospital? Uh, No. And yet, Swami Vivekananda insisted on service. And we have started many hospitals in India. And where we don't have hospitals, we have uh, dispensaries, medical dispensaries, and clinics of all types. So wonderful work, which is uh, going to uh, uh, help uh, uh, help, uh, people of all levels of society. And so it's a contradiction. But it's a logical contradiction, not a spiritual, psychological, or emotional contradiction. The contradiction, of course, the logical contradiction is you can't help the world but go out and serve the world. And Swamiji was insistent on the need for service to wherever there's any need, where, there, where there's hunger, then provide food, uh, where there's not, uh, not clothing, provide clothing, where there's not shelter, provide housing, where people are sick, provide medicine, where there's lack of education, provide education, where there's just the need for solace, uh, provide solace. And so he insisted on the need for service, but at the same time said, uh, don't do it with the idea that you can improve the world. One reason for that is easy to see, and that is that the idea that I can fix the world is based on the ego, and on looking on myself as privileged and the other as the unfortunate victim, and I'm going to remove, out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to remove uh, their uh, problems. So one uh, reason for that is to get rid of that egocentric idea of service the other idea the more profound idea is as he said and this is a difficult one to understand admittedly one of the tasks before us as sappers and miners one of the things we have to learn to understand we have to deal with the contradiction in our own lives until uh, we resolve it in our own inner experience our own inner psychology our own inner emotions our own inner way of perceiving the world and that is who is going who is going to help God God the, if the universe is God if every being is divine Who am I to go out and fix God? Who am I to go out and try to solve the problems of God? No, it's a matter of love. The basis of his service was love and the perception of divinity within all. So to go out because because of my conviction at first and hopefully eventually perception that God dwells within all. God is within all. And when I see need, I go out out of a spirit of worship. uh, that's the the, uh, uh, form that my worship takes when I see the world as God. Uh, Then let me go out and help those that are in need, not because I can help them, but because I'm worshipping, because I'm worshipping God who has come before me in this form. And so again, as a logical statement, it's a contradiction. As a psychological, emotional, and spiritual fact, it's not a contradiction at all. We resolve it in our own uh, inner experience. Uh, And so service is the other foundation of uh, what the uh, Swami taught. Christ, well, let me back up and say that each great uh, world teacher has taught uh, something unique. Everyone has contributed uh, new spiritual ideas, whether it's Rama or Krishna or Buddha or Jesus uh, or uh, Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda. And Jesus was the first who showed, among several other unique contributions he made, The first to show that there's no contradiction between love for God and love for human beings. Before that, uh, in spiritual traditions, East and West, it was considered that love for human beings uh, would lead to attachment. And so uh, direct all of your love for God, and at the most towards human beings, as Buddha taught, have compassion. But Christ said that no, love for human beings and love for God is not contradictory. He said that whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. And Swami Vivekananda showed the spiritual rationale behind that. In traditional Christianity, that was taken very seriously, and that's why in Christianity you find so many wonderful service projects for for the last uh, 2,000 years. Uh, But it never found what a Vedantin would say was its fulfillment, because Christ was always considered as unique. And so when you serve the least of these, you're not really serving Christ. Uh, you're making Christ happy, because the the person that you're serving is not really Christ, uh, except in sort of a poetic sense. But from a Vedantic sense, what Christ meant was, no, they are me, I am them. If you're serving them, you are serving me. There's no difference between uh, the uh, the person that Christ said that's suffering in prison, the person who's hungry, the person who's uh, unclothed, etc., and Christ. And so serving them is serving Christ. Or as Swami Vivekananda put in universal terms, uh, everyone is God, everyone is divine. So anything that you do for anyone, you're doing as direct service to God. Not God sitting in their hearts. That's an okay idea, it's not a bad idea, but that's the old dualistic idea, that God is sitting in their hearts, and so I'm serving them, but I'm really really worshipping God who's in their heart. Well no, why make a distinction like that? Why set up a distinction between the person you're serving and then somehow uh, this little God sitting inside the heart that uh, my love is directed towards that, uh, but I have to get to that through this, uh, this uh, person who's sort of in the way. Uh, no, uh, the person is God. Uh, there's no distinction. And so the service uh, is worship. There's no distinction. That's a difficult idea to internalize. We can understand it first. We have to understand it, then we can internalize it. Then we can come to the point where it begins to become uh, a matter of our way of thinking, and then, hopefully, eventually, and certainly, it will. Because uh, there have people who there have been people who have done this. It will become a matter of realization where we actually see God within others. We actually, well, again, not seeing God within others, we'll see others as God. It actually becomes a matter of perception. So we can expect that to happen also because many have done that. And Swami Vivekananda lived in that consciousness all the time, as did Sri Ramakrishna. So um, uh, uh, they taught uh, realization but also service, and that service is is worship. And further, Swami Vivekananda showed besides uh, realization and service as twin ideals, he also showed as I said earlier, and I want to make a third point of this, uh, as far as underlying the work of our order, that all human striving is connected to the striving for God, that the motivation behind the criminal is the same motivation as what motivates the saint, that the motivation is not different. The level of ignorance there's a big difference. The criminal thinks that by hurting others and that by taking from others or by killing others he can make his, uh, himself and uh, his people uh, uh, happy. Uh, the saint knows that no, that's the way to uh, uh, self-destruction as well as destruction of the other. But the motivation is the same. They're seeking the same thing. They're seeking the same joy. One is seeking it in the, a way with understanding, the other is seeking it through ignorance. And so Swami Vivekananda t- t- taught that all human striving, uh, including even the striving of the criminal, uh, is, this, is basically the same, the same motivation driving everything within the universe. The seeking for love, the seeking for understanding, the seeking for existence, the seeking for life, the seeking for the continuation of existence, etc. Uh, that the motivation is the same. And so uh, uh, when we have that, then we have uh, a level of understanding which makes room for everything within life. No, it doesn't cause us to blur distinctions in our understanding between what should be done and what shouldn't be done. No, it doesn't do that. But it allows us to see that the actions of all within life are basically oriented in the same direction. It's just a question of ignorance, uh, misunderstanding, or understanding and knowledge. And so that allows us to give a place in life for everything. There are many people who don't want to give a place in life for everything. In fact, most people don't. They want to see bad people as something completely disconnected, as evildoers, as people that should just be destroyed. Uh, But no, Swami Vivekananda never taught that. He said, uh, for instance, that the woman walking in the street, how dare you sneer at the woman walking in the, walking the streets, meaning a prostitute. How dare you uh, uh, sneer at the prostitute. She is my Christ, whose street walking is the preservation of the chastity of other people. And uh, so he saw this grand vision of balance where everyone was seeking the same thing, some ignorantly, some with knowledge. And where there's ignorance, he said, we'll give understanding if they're willing to take it. Don't try to force it on people. People Respect everyone and where they are in life. Uh, but spread understanding or spread the availability of understanding, but don't condemn. And so that also was a uh, pillar of his understanding. So now, uh, let me deal a few minutes with the work before us as a movement. I've talked about some of the most basic principles. There's much more that could be said, finer principles of many types, but the most basic principles. So let me talk about the work before us as a movement. First, spirituality, because I said that uh, for Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda, spirituality was at the heart of everything they said and everything they did. So, teaching of spirituality, that of course is one of our prime uh, uh, purposes as a movement, is the spread of spirituality uh, through, for instance, uh, through teaching, but teaching in a variety of ways. We shouldn't take it as a passive exercise, not passive uh, teaching. We have to develop the ideas that Swami Vivekananda uh, uh, taught. By not being passive, I mean not just uh, reading books and saying, okay, this is what the book says and so forth. But again, internalizing, trying to understand the ideas, and then giving expression to our understanding. Uh, uh, and then uh, helping others to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to uh, understand as well, uh, the best that we are able. Recognizing certainly our own limitations, uh, but not using our limitations as a reason for being passive. That is, to, be, uh, to take this as something that uh, has to be done, something to develop the ideas left by Swami Vivekananda. What does he mean when he says that religion is the manifestation of the divinity within man? What does he mean when he says that education is the manifestation of the perfection already within man? Of course, meaning using man generically, as he did, as he always did. What uh, what did he mean by that? Those are things that we have to think deeply about. We have to study and think deeply about. Examine our own experience in life. Uh, Examine our own experience of life and see what that could mean. And then find ways that that becomes practicable in life. Swami Vivekananda didn't teach passive ideas. He taught ideas that are full of life, full of power. And so imagine what could be done in a country like America or like India or like Kenya or wherever in the world we are if enough people took up this idea that education is the manifestation of perfection already within. If they understood that idea at a deep level and then began to develop curricula and teaching methods based on that idea, uh, what a wonderful thing that would be. Or if we, again, develop this idea that religion is the manifestation of the divinity already within. Uh, What that really means at depth. Taking that idea in, thinking about it, examining our own experience and trying to understand what it means. And then understanding it at a deeper and deeper level until we can begin to work with it. Until we can begin to let that uh, speak through us. Uh, What Swamiji meant when he said that if I had my education to do over... Uh, then I wouldn't, and he said, if I had my education to do over, and if I had any say in the matter, I would not stuff my mind with facts, but I would learn to control my mind, because once my mind is controlled, then I can take up facts at will and retain them and assimilate them. Uh, So what a different idea that would uh, give to education if people were to take that up seriously, to think about it and to figure out how can we practicalize it. Swamiji said many times, that I give you the idea, when talking to his disciples, he'd say, I give you the idea, you work it out. Well, he gave many, many ideas, and it's for us to work them out, it's for us to, uh, to uh, d- develop them. Once, when I was in the beginning of my spiritual life, uh, a, a Swami that I was living with at that time, not here in Southern California, a Swami used to uh, ask us to uh, do work on building a new monastery. And so none of us had construction experience. So one day we were uh, reading books on construction so that we could learn how to do what was required of us. And he saw us reading books, and he said, I didn't tell you to start an engineering college. I said to build buildings. Get out there and build buildings. Well, the problem with that is, unless you know how to build, uh, uh, you're going to get in trouble quickly, as we did. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> and uh, so with... The practice of spiritual ideas, like this uh, same Swami would tell us, just do karma yoga, just work, that's all you need to do. Well, that's fine, but everybody in the world is just working. And what are the results? Not very good. So if we want to learn karma yoga, we have to think, learn what the principles of karma yoga is are, We have to uh, study them. We have to examine our experience. We have to play with them. We have to experiment with them and gradually learn what they mean in experience and how to internalize them, how to practicalize them, how to embody them in life. And so all of that has to take uh, place. And that's left for us, the sappers and miners, uh, to do because we have to know how to practice karma yoga, how to practice jnana yoga, how to practice bhakti, how to practice raja, how to serve how to understand that uh, uh, all beings are divine. These are all ideas we have to internalize. So we have to develop the ideas left by Swami Vivekananda, and we have to find effective means of teaching, effective means of teaching. Not that if the means are perfected, then everybody is suddenly going to find themselves taught, no. Uh, But we have to experiment with means of teaching. And certainly nowadays, uh... with the changes in society people expect more participatory uh... uh... ways of, uh, of uh, uh, absorbing information uh... So seminars and retreats and participatory uh... exercises and we also need to experiment with in-depth in- instruction for those who want it some want the general ideas and that's enough that's what they want and with that they can go forward with their life and that's fine their needs should be uh... uh fulfilled Others want uh, something which is in-depth. They want to go in, more in-depth. So we have to provide that as well, not just for monastics, but uh, for, uh, for everyone that, uh, that wants it. So we need to experiment with in-depth instruction for those who want it. We need to experiment with ways of teaching meditation. Uh, for instance, uh, in the uh, uh, Buddhist uh, tradition, uh, they, there's a lot that we can learn uh, because they take meditation as a step-by-step process, And so we also, in our movement, need to experiment with the teaching of meditation, with the instruction in meditation, uh, with uh, helping people to to go step by step in uh, learning meditation. Graduated means. We have to, uh, uh, with uh, uh, teaching again, we need institutions for teaching as well. Uh, We need retreats where people can go and retreat, and that we have. Many of our centers now have retreats. We need places, and we need more of them, places where people can go uh, to practice for some time as they're able. Ramakrishna said to go for a weekend or for a month or for a year as you're able to, to, again, speaking to devotees. From time to time, go for a day, for a weekend, for a week, for a month, for a year as you're able, whatever you're able to do. uh, To practice in solitude. And so we need places where that is possible, where practice is the emphasis and where people can deepen their spiritual practice. We need Vedantic educational institutions. And I don't mean just schools for uh, kids. That also would be good. But even before that, we need uh, institutions where people can go to study. Those who want to study more, they they can, either on a uh part time basis or full time basis to get uh, deeper in the uh, in the teachings and the ideas if if that's what they want so we need to provide environments uh, retreat environments and teaching environments uh, we need to offer also levels of uh commitment uh as we already do to some extent but uh, that also we can develop further again we should look on ourselves as just beginning the process of developing Vedanta in America, in other countries. Uh, We're just beginning the process. For instance, there's the idea which has been talked about for a number of years now, and which I think is a very good idea, needs to be talked about more, developing some sort of what in the Christian world is called an oblate system, or the third order system. That is, there are the monastics, and then there are devotees, but there are some people who don't want to be monastics, and yet they want a uh, a more directed uh, life and a more uh, 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 committed, uh, uh, committed life to spiritual practice. And so in Christianity, for many centuries, they've had the third order or the oblate uh, uh, system where one can, uh, one can, whether married or unmarried, it doesn't matter, one can uh, uh, commit oneself to a, d- a deeper level of spiritual practice and spiritual observance. And so we need levels of, uh, levels of commitment, and we need different types of commitment for those who want uh, to do more service, those who want to do more practice, those who want to do more study, etc. So again, we, uh, these are uh, all ideas that we can take up, not just for uh, monks in our centers, but for all of us, that uh, these are important things for us to think about. Uh, We need another thing that we need very much in our movement, and I don't pretend to have the answer of how to do it, but I see the need, and I'm sure some others have seen the need also, and that is, I'll use the term, though I don't like the term so much, but I'll use the term because it's a common term, that is, we need priests, and again, we don't need to call them priests because that's a loaded term, but what I mean by that is, that uh, we don't have provisions for uh, uh, Vedantins, Uh, by and large, we don't have provisions for those who are followers of Ramakrishna and Vivekananda, who are followers of the the Vedanta tradition, uh, to get married within their tradition and to perform other rites and so forth. In some of our centers, we provide, uh, some of the people provide the rice-eating ceremony and a few (laughs) things like that. But uh, that's uh, the general rights that are provided. Those generally are not in India and in the tradition are not provided by the monastics, but by people who are uh, familiar from the inside with uh, married, married life and family life. And so we need such people. Uh, uh, who uh, are uh, t- uh, trained to uh, b- both to p- perform uh, weddings, uh, not just wedding blessings, as uh, some of our uh, monks and nuns do, but actually perform weddings and perform uh, such ceremonies and perform other ceremonies that may- might develop, or traditional ceremonies as well, like the rice-eating ceremony. So these are all uh, uh, th- things that uh, uh, need, need, to be, uh, need to be done. Um, the harmony of uh, harmony of religions as well—that's another idea. That it seems like it's one of our foundational ideas, certainly. Uh, but it's still an important idea. You may say that well, now there's so many interreligious movements, and every sizable town has an interreligious council, and so forth. But I've done a lot of interreligious work, and I'm still doing a lot of interreligious work around the country and around the world. And there's still a great need for what Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda taught. Not that we're to go into interreligious religious councils and say, okay, now we've got what you want and we're going to tell you how to do it. No, you, can't, uh, you have to proceed with respect for everyone and the re- opinions of everyone if you're going to have dialogue. We're not going in to teach people. But the message which they gave of harmony... The underlying reasons for harmony—that's still something the world needs. You'll find that most municipal interreligious councils they get together because uh, they don't want to fight. And so, even many members of interreligious councils around the country will say that we need to talk together so that we won't fight with each other. And that's about as far as most people see interreligious uh, uh, dialogue as going. It keeps us in harmony, and we can say, "Oh, your your practice is interesting. What you do at your temple is interesting. What you do is interesting." Uh, you may not be right, uh, uh, you may all be going to hell, but it sure is interesting what you do. <laughs> so there's a great need for something that goes deeper, something that sees the underlying harmony uh, uh, beneath religion itself, which sees, as the Vedic people saw, and as Swami Vivekananda, in tune with Ramakrishna's realization, saw, that religion is one thing. There is only one thing which is called religion. But there are many, many ways of doing it, countless ways of doing it. And the different ways of doing religion are what in larger groupings we call different religions. But really, religion is one thing. It's one search. And that everybody is within the search of religion, the atheist, the agnostic, the person who never thinks about religion even enough to be an atheist or an agnostic. Everyone is uh, seeking uh, what the religious person searches. And so Vedanta makes room for everyone within the scope of religion. It sees even the, 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 uh, the strivings of physical matter to be religious in nature. Everything is religious in nature. And so we need a vision of religion that makes room for everyone, not a vision of religion which says uh, every, everybody should be a member of our religion. Everybody should be a member of our Vedanta society uh, and, uh, because we're the universal religion. No. A vision of religion which makes room for everybody where they're already at, which sees religion as something universal. And so there's a great need in the world for that, a deeper, uh, deeper vision of uh, uh, interreligious dialogue. And you see that taking place in some places, but it's still a very, very small minority of people who are dialoguing with the idea that uh, we're all going in the same direction, but in, uh, uh, in our various ways, and that that is good, that it's good to have these various ways. So the harmony of religions. Uh, and then uh, service also is something which is very much necessary as a movement. We haven't had much in this country. We have had some, so some, uh, some efforts of uh, soup kitchens and, uh, and helping out with the schools in Mexico and other different things like that. And those are good, uh, but that also is something that we need to develop and find ways of uh, involving our people in service projects. Why is that important? Because it was so much a part of Swami Vivekananda's vision. That is, there's room to worship people uh, in this sense of service everywhere. You just look around and you see plenty of opportunities for service. And so why not uh, not do that uh, when opportunity arises? Why not do it in an organized way, as our order does a lot of in India? But it shouldn't be restricted to India. The old idea was that uh, India is a poor country, it needs service. America is a rich country, it doesn't need service, it uh, needs uh, some spiritual teaching. But no, service is a universal urge and it's something that uh, uh, is a need, a universal need as well. And so that's something that to internalize Swami Vivekananda's ideas of service and then to, uh, and then to form uh, fine fields of, uh, of uh, service and engagement. So there are many other things I could say about the movement, but time is uh, short, so let me uh, speak now about uh, the work before us as individuals. As I said, it's connected to the topic of the movement, because as I want to uh, develop it very briefly, I'm not speaking about just uh, uh, individuals and their spiritual life, that's very important, and that's usually what we talk about. But I want to talk about us as members of a movement, of a much larger uh, movement. And again, the Ramakrishna Sangha, the Ramakrishna movement, the Ramakrishna family, includes all of us. It's not uh, monastics, it's all of us. So the movement gives context to the individual. Why would anyone even want to be part of a movement? It's because uh, a movement gives a, a, a context for us and it gives a support for us. And so the movement uh, has importance for the individual and the individual has importance for the movement because the movement is made up of individuals and their common ideals not common in the sense of unitary because that's where you get into dogmatism but uh, very broad common ideals as given by sri ramakrishna and swami vivekananda and the holy mother and certainly in our movement Sri Ramakrishna, Swami Vivekananda, and Holy Mother, they always emphasized individual development. So again, by movement, we are not talking about uh, everybody doing the same thing in the same way. But a body of people who are uh, inspired by the same broad liberal ideas, uh, ideas and ideals. As I said, uh, uh, Swami Vivekananda said that he wanted sappers and miners in the army of religion, and that, as I said, is what we are. So we... We're trying in our own ways, whether we know it or not, if we take any interest in Vedanta, we're trying in our own ways to understand the teachings, to understand uh, the teachings that appeal to us. And that's all we need to take up. We don't need to take up what doesn't appeal to us. Take up what appeals to us. And we're trying to imbibe it and assimilate it, trying to learn from it, trying to uh, think our way through it so that we understand it and then we can practice it. And then again, a time comes when we find that we are expressing it. That uh, So everyone who tries to understand the message of Sri Ramakrishna, of Swami Vivekananda, uh, is a pioneer already. You can't help but be a, a pioneer in this uh, process. So let, what we need to do as individuals is to be conscious of the fact. Uh, if we're conscious of the fact, then uh, uh, anything that we're doing already but we become conscious of, we do even better. And so if we're conscious of the fact, then uh, we can do it better. Swami Vivekananda, in his characteristically strong language, he once said in India, he said that the old rishi, rishis, whom he had great regard for, and great regard for, he was always quoting them and so forth, but on this occasion he said in his characteristic way, the rishis of yore are dead, dead as doornails, and the sooner that you realize this, the, the better, better for India and the better for the world. That's an extremely strong statement, especially in the Indian context. In America, we kind of like things that sort are of a little radical and a little uh, cage shaking. Uh, India, a very old country, they like things that are uh, stable. Uh, stability is, uh, is a much more prized virtue there than it is in America, whereas Swamiji said, every new idea finds a home. And so we're used to, uh, we can kind of have a liking for radical statements. That's a very radical statement, that the rishis of yore, especially in India, the rishis of yore are dead, dead as doornails, he said, using an American expression. Uh, hardly anybody now, certainly people less than 50, don't even know what a doornail is. <laughs> but uh, you at least heard the expression, I hope. Uh, and uh, It was still current when I was a kid. I, I haven't heard it for years, except when reading Swamiji. Uh, but he said that uh, each of you is to become a rishi. Each of you is to become a rishi, and the sooner that you, the sooner you realize, uh, the better for you, and the better, the better for India, and the better, uh, better for the world. And so, that was not a message just for India. That was a message for all of us. That uh, the age of awakening rishis uh, is here, Swami Vivekananda felt. And so, we have to learn. To uh, to understand, to assimilate, and then uh, and then to work with the ideas, and through that process, we're becoming rishis, maybe little rishis to begin with, uh, but in time uh, we'll become uh, uh, more effective, uh, and uh, the, and great rishis will arise among us certainly. So um, so we should look on ourselves as all we should all look on ourselves as parts of the movement. And uh, not, as, uh, not as, well, the monastics, they're the ones who are to do this, and we're householders, and uh, our uh, purpose is to uh, do the best we can, which isn't very good, and uh, maybe we should uh, just uh, give a little money to support the uh, the, uh, the centers and so forth. No, all of us are called to this work of assimilating the ideas, of experimenting with them in our own life. Uh, One of my friends who had been a monk uh, for some years and then left, he wrote me a very telling letter some years after he'd left. He said that out here, meaning outside of the monastery, out here also there are many things to do and many things to learn. Yes, that's true. It may be obvious to uh, those of you here, but it's not always obvious to monastics. We get ingrown and begin to think that our little monastic world is the whole world. But no, there are many things to learn for all of us, many things to experiment for all of us, many things to do for all of us. And so again, I want to, uh, to emphasize uh, that point, that we're all part of the movement, and this is something for all of us to do. Uh, so what we have to do, we have to, again, as I've said over and over, assimilate the ideas, then internalize them and identify with them, and then learn to express them. What does express them mean? It means that if you're an artist, it will begin to come out in your art. If you're a writer, it'll begin to come out in your writing. If you're a business person, it'll begin to come out in your business dealings. Uh, If you're a musician, it'll begin to come out in your music. If If you feel that you don't have any special skills, it'll begin to come out in your life. And what is better than that? Uh, many of you know one of our long-time devotees and former president of the Vedanta Society, Bill Frey. He told me many times about how he came to Vedanta. And it was through meeting the former president of the Vedanta Society, Al Eschner, whom some of you know also. long Govinda, he's known as, a long-time devotee. So Bill Frey was uh, uh, working for a company and he would meet Al Eschner at uh, meetings, at business meetings. And he always felt, how did this uh, guy, uh, what, why is it that he seems so different from everybody else? There seems to be some wisdom or something, something about him that other people don't have. And uh, he wanted to find out what that was. And so he would always sort of gravitate towards uh, Al. And uh, one day he asked him, what is it, what is it about you? There's some uh, depth or there's something about you, that uh, a dimension to you that I don't see in other people. And then Al told him about Vedanta and brought him here. And then he became a lifelong uh, devotee. But uh, Al was uh, a devotee like any of you, a devotee like uh, any of you. But because he had uh, tried to internalize uh, according to his capacity, according to his understanding, internalize the ideas that made a difference and it brought people to uh... uh to spiritual life uh, something that it made enough difference that people just seeing him at meetings or those who were sensitive seeing him at, at meetings felt that no this guy has something that i want i don't know what it is but i see he has something i wanted that's something all of us can do all of us can do we may not know that we've influenced people but we will influence people if we internalize these ideas we will it's uh, it's uh, guaranteed we need to learn how to unleash the energies of our movement. And uh, by that, I mean partially unleash the talents of our movement. Uh, that is, the people who have among us, uh, lay and monastic, there are many, many talented people, people with talents in different directions. So we need to find ways to unleash those talents uh, for, the, uh, for the sake of the movement and for, the, uh, and for service to the world, for service to the world. Those who have educational talents or artistic talents or managerial talents, or computer talents, whatever talents you might have. Or again, just talent as a good person. That's all you need. You don't need special talents. Just being a good human being, that's uh, central to everything. Then uh, those uh, talents must uh, uh, be manifested and made use of. And then we need to experiment. We need to experiment and not take old forms as given and as set in concrete. We need to experiment with ways of teaching, ways of presenting, uh, ways of engaging people. So in conclusion, uh, again, the movement and the individuals who make up the movement. There's a dynamic balance between the two, a dynamic interrelationship between the two, obviously. Swami Vivekananda again said, as I mentioned earlier, that I give you the ideas, you work them out. And one of the great things about Swami Vivekananda was that he didn't define things. He didn't set things in concrete. He didn't tell people, "Okay, this is what you're to do, and this is what you're to think, and this is the truth, and so now everything is fixed." No, Swami Swamiji didn't work that way. He opened windows. He opened doors. He opened windows into new vistas. He opened doors into new pathways, and told people to walk through them, to look through the windows, to walk through the doors uh... to experiment uh... he gave uh, he gave extraordinary ideas which will be worked out for again as he said for the next fifteen hundred years and beyond that is for the next fifteen hundred years it would be in the full flowering dynamic uh... power uh... and uh, so it would be expanding and growing for fifteen hundred years uh... and so we need to take his legacy seriously and again deal with it in our in uh, individual lives By doing that we're helping the movement, and we're helping not just the movement, the movement is something abstract. We're helping people, we're helping the world. And if we begin to do it as a movement, uh, if we do it as a movement, that is in organized ways, that's what a movement is, the organization of collective human energies. If we begin begin to do things, experiment with things as a movement, then we'll find that uh, great things will come in the future. That we're not at the end of the road, we're not even yet at the beginning. We're still trying to figure out how to put our first step forward. And so in that, uh, uh, let us all come forward and figure out how best to do that. For our own good, for our own liberation, for our own spiritual good, and for the good of the whole world.